Welcome to Unbounded, talks on growth in financial services. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Parsons, and Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. Today, we are talking with Marius Istrate, an advisor and talent guru. So if you're into the people thing, if you're into unlocking talent with some technology, then we have the right man for you. So get ready to take some notes from somebody who knows the people business. And you might ask, Mike, how does he know all of this? Well, he was the chief people officer at UiPath. He saw that unicorn, that now publicly listed unicorn, go from 100 to 3,000 people. He has been and seen and got it done. He advises founders now. He invests in tons of companies. He has got a lot going on. So get ready to dig into the growth equation. Marius, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to to talk to you today. And thank you for making the time to join us here on Unbounded. And I would love to, to hear what it's like right now after our listeners have just shared in your entrepreneurial journey, you're now an advisor to other founders, to folks who are looking to build something, working on bold and audacious ideas. But this time you're advising them. What do you like most about this role, this advising of founders? Well, Mike, uh, it's, I started doing this two and a half years years ago um, after I uh, after I, I left UiPath with this idea and with with this um, mindset that post UiPath, uh, it's worth you know investing the the expertise and the the knowledge I I've got there, um, I've gotten there, and um, my idea was you know if this was possible out of a country like like Romania, and if we were capable of building a global company out of Romania, then uh, there's you know there's the potential to do more. We could, you know, arguably have five to ten successful uh, uh, companies coming out of this region in in, in the next few years. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd I'd give it a go. It's obviously a very different role compared to the operational role that I've had with, uh, with UiPath, compared to the previous roles that I've had. My background hmm. is in software engineering. And before UiPath, I was CEO of a company that was doing uh, um, IT recruitment and IT assessment of, of skills, a company called Skill Value. Um, so obviously, an advisory role is something that's completely different to uh, the operational roles that I've, that I've had before. But I'm... I'm enjoying it because, because for, for a few reasons. First of all, I get to choose the people I work with, right? I have this flexibility right now. Mm. Um, I get to invest time with founders that I believe have the best chance of, of, of being successful. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And, and I guess the other thing is that uh, as an advisor, you also... Um, have to do a lot of research. It's a hands-off role, but a role that requires, you know, a lot of research, a lot of reading, um, which is, you know, which, which is stuff I've had limited time for before, and mm. I, I enjoy doing this. Uh, I enjoy doing this right now. But the the beautiful aspect is again is the the, the people that you meet, that the people that that you you choose to work with. I think that's the wonderful that's the wonderful thing out of this experience. And how do you, when you look at the the challenges of somebody who's looking to, to build a brand new company or who's trying to scale their company, what, upon reflection, do you think is the greatest or the most common challenges you see founders and leaders of early stage companies? What What are the common challenges they face? There are a number of them, and these challenges also have evolved over the past Two and a half years. So I, I, I left UiPath and I started doing started doing this right before the pandemic, not knowing that there would be a global pandemic uh, hitting us. So obviously, for the for the first few months, I was I was confronted with questions like, how do I make my company work fully remote right now? Um, uh, you know, people working from home. How can I trust that they'll do the right thing? And you know, we didn't have. I mean, globally, we didn't have a, a, a great track record in terms of managerial and leadership expertise anyway, even when we were in office. So that mm. pandemic obviously made things even harder. 
uh, for all kinds of, of leaders and, and, and founders, independent of the stage. Um, you know, then then came then came the sort of post pandemic, uh, figuring it out. How do we work together face to face again? Do we meet? How often should we meet? Um, uh, how does that, you know, does that make sense for my business? Should I keep things fully remote? They seem to be working. Am I losing something on the innovation side? This, these are questions that I've, that I've gotten from founders over, over the course of 2020 then 2021. And then mm. obviously beginning of this year, uh, 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 the war started, the war in Ukraine started. And some of the, uh. some of the startups I work with are regional. They are Eastern European based. Some of them had, uh, offices in, in, in Ukraine. Some of them have colleagues in neighboring areas to Ukraine. So Republic of Moldova, for example. So, you know, I spent, uh, I spent the day my, my, my daughter was born. So the, the 25th of February, my, my wife was in, in, in the maternity ward with, with our newborn daughter. And I was on the phone talking to startups who were trying to evacuate their colleagues from, from Kiev. Uh, that's also part of the advisory of the advisory life. Um, wow. wow. That's so amazing. That this, it's amazing to yeah. think Marius that there you are advising these early stage companies and yeah. two of the greatest challenges are, were not common business challenges, i.e. worldwide no. pandemic and a war this is not probably what you expected to be advising upon. How did you adapt personally? How did you, how did you kind of shift gears? What did it take from your side to make that shift and to obviously to help these founders? Well, I, I had a lot of practice with UiPath. UiPath was all about shifting gears. Um, <laughs> uh, UiPath was a very different company every six months, I would say. I mean, as, 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 as we were growing, the organization you know, changed a lot. Uh, and the challenges, uh, challenges evolved. For founders right now, what, 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 what I've learned that I can do best is help them navigate these, these events, which are truly unprecedented in, in our lifetime, uh, while, while at the same time helping them uh, understand the big picture. You know, independently from this war in Ukraine or uh, independent from uh, the, the pandemic and post-pandemic world, the winners are still going to be the founders that build great businesses, you know, mm. great businesses. And what, what's the definition of a great business? It's not that complicated, actually. It's build a product that your customers love, uh, build a team that works well together, that's, that's, that stays engaged and, and, and is capable of delivering that exceptional product and that exceptional customer um, experience and a lot of other things will, will fall into place um, as, as long as you do uh, as you do these things so you know tackle events as they come I've learned throughout my career at at skill value at UiPath and even before skill value when I was working in software engineering that um, nasty events will happen Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's, you know, there are external factors. Sometimes it's just things going wrong within the organization. It's, uh, it's, there are things that, 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 that you cannot, uh, control and with scale, uh, sometimes simply with scale come, come new challenges. Uh, I was surprised to learn that one of the, uh, let's say blue chip, very large, you know, blue chip, uh, IT corporations in the world, uh, which has, uh, an, an attendance to its events of roughly, 300,000 to 400,000 people per year. I'm talking in-person events here. So pre-pandemic level, yeah. right? Um, was always uh, prepared with emergency services because each year they have two or three people suffering from a heart attack or an aneurysm or something of this type during their events. And you're, you're probably thinking, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's a awful way to plan events, right? Like I need to have ER uh, on site. But in reality, it's because of the scale. The statistics don't change. The probability of it happening is still very low. But when you organize events that involve 400,000 people, there's just right. a higher chance of it happening. And it's, it's, it's the same with, 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 uh, with a growing company. You know, With scale and with time, some challenges will come. They are, they are inevitable. Now, you don't expect a double punch, you know, a two punch, I think it's called, right. right? Like pandemic and war within the space of 24 months, but you know, here we are. So, so if I understand 
the the kind of lore that seems to have been experienced by you and what where you're helping founders now in this advisory role, I think it sounds like it, it's expect the unexpected. Plan mm, for it. It right? is. It is. It is walk into the fire, right? Because yeah. um, ultimately, the people who walk into the fire are the ones who uh, have the best shot at making it out of it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's a very famous speech given by one of the early American presidents about stepping into the arena or the man in the arena and that, you know, it's only the man that dares to step in to the arena is the one that has the chance of winning. And if you do so in the world of technology and business, expecting the unexpected, um, that is one thing that is going to drive consistently throughout the business. And I, I wanted to kind of build on this topic a little bit. And I think in what you were saying is the pursuit of scale and growth, which is so natural for a young early stage company. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a real tension inside of that because, you know, you have to move really fast, but you also have to take the time to methodically build the culture. And mm-hmm. sometimes to me, those seem almost oppositely opposed. They're like conflicting with each other because it feels like in a young early stage company, every day, every week, there's a new person. And did we introduce them? Who, who are they? What are they doing? And meanwhile, you know, you need these people to, you know, there are jobs to be done, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you've got to nurture people, communication, collaboration. What did you learn in this rip-roaring journey at UiPath. And for those of you, I just want to remind you, UiPath uh, experienced enormous growth in a short amount of time. It was the first unicorn from Romania. It's now publicly listed. Um, So, I mean, that's a big whirlwind journey. So with that in the back of our minds, I think my question for you, Marius, is how do we balance these two things, moving fast building teamwork, building culture. How do we do that? First of all, Mike, I don't think these are conflicting terms. I, 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 I believe there is a way to, um, to move fast and to, to, to be able to keep that flame alive, keep the, you know, keep the culture working for, for your organization. Um, and I would say, first of all, you know, speed is in itself can be, a way of um, operating a business. It can be. I would. I would even say it can be a value by which by which you function. Right. Mm-hmm. I would. There are founders who prefer uh, to to move things around very fast and to break them, uh, and and that's the, the their that's their way of working. That's their way of operating, and they try to instill this um, into others, or they try to surround themselves with people who believe uh, the same thing, at least for the, for the early stages. Uh, this being said, there's obviously some tension there. Um, but I don't think the tension originates in this fact that the two are opposed that, that, you know, growing fast is opposed to keeping the, the, the kind of culture, uh, alive. Um, I think the tension arises from the fact that we as human beings are hard coded to, to you know, not favor uncertainty. We like, we like certainty. Right. We like right. things that, you know, that we can put our arms around that we can understand. So, you know, walking into an environment or working in an environment where, where things are changing very fast, we're simply not comfortable. And we, when we are not comfortable, we start you know, by default, we start creating tension around us. Now, this can be turned into creative tension, or it can become something else, something more, more, more toxic. Toxic. What I yeah. always tell founders is, uh, first of all, favor building a great business over everything else. And we've talked about talked about this in, in just a few minutes ago about what a great business is. Uh, but then, you know, when you have to think about speed versus culture or speed and culture, which I think is the, the right way to think about it. Um, think about in, how do you enrich our culture? I think for a number of, uh, for a number of years, um, the conversation has been, how do I hire people that are a culture fit? Because I feel like if I hire people who are a cultural fit for my organi- organization, then I don't have to explain certain things to them. And then I would, would be able to, 
to move faster. What what you learn over with time as you're building your organization is that there isn't necessarily a culture fit. The the real valuable thing um, is more of a value fit, if you if you want to call it that, Mike. Mm. How do I hire people who you know, who have the same sort of intrinsic values that I, that I have, even if their behavior at times will be slightly different uh, uh, to mine. So how do I get that value fit? And then how do I use the, these people's diverse way of thinking and operating and behaving to sort of enrich my culture and then enrich my organization so that I move even faster? And this is, I think, the, the correct way to think about it. Now, some organizations call this culture ad. You know, how, what do I add to my culture when I bring this person in? Hmm. How, how, how does my company get richer in terms of experience, knowledge, but also ways of operating, ways of behaving, ways of building, right? What does this person know and what that have they done that I haven't or what have they seen that I have not seen? And how will this help our company move faster if if that's what what we need to do and that's what a lot of companies really right. need to do it's, it's more faster so let me let's break this down together because i think we're getting into something that is immensely helpful for any early stage company so right. i think the to set the stage you're saying you know focus on the value fit i like this and you broke it down into basically two parts you need to go spot it and then you need to, like, when you bring those people on board, how do you stimulate it? How do you get the best of their unique characteristics and qualities? Um, let's let's dive into the spotting of uh, values. What's a great way or a technique that one of our listeners could use if they're talking to perhaps a candidate or even a, a partner? How do they spot a value fit? There's an easy answer, Mike, unfortunately. I would, I would love to start with the punchline here. Uh, but there isn't a punchline. Um, so far, this kind of screening has been done through situational and behavioral questions mm-hmm. to be able to assess what a person would do in a certain situation. Uh, in my opinion, that is not sufficient. I think that's that's an interesting starting point. Uh, but if you want to be efficient and if you want to move fast also, which is in hiring, you have to move fast. Uh, also, not just in, in the work with your customers, right, or building your 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 revenue. Um, the 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 best way to to screen for value fit is to expose your candidate to as many people from the organization as possible. Mm-hmm. Meaning, and I don't just mean interviews. I mean inviting them for lunch, inviting them for a dinner. Remember, we're talking early stage right now. I mean, yeah, your company yeah. is probably, what, 15, 20 people, and you need to bring in another five, six amazing people on board, right? Mm-hmm. Your, you know, your job as a founder uh, is part of your job as a founder, and but I believe your number one job as a founder is to spend time with amazing candidates and to identify those people who you know, who essentially believe the same things that you believe. Now, they might believe those things because of a slightly different, you know, childhood or educational background. But fundamentally, you want people who believe, fundamentally believe what you believe. And that's, that's what the value fit is, mm. is, is about. If you want people, if you want to work with people or you want to surround yourself with people who believe in scrappiness, right? Who believe in, mm. in getting a lot done with fewer or fewer resources. I, I think you're going to find that this comes uh, with, with different flavors. Uh, there are people who grew in very humble backgrounds, like you know many of us did here in, in Romania and in Eastern Europe, for example, and who have just out of necessity have had to be scrappy. Um, or uh, there are uh, people who naturally, you know, enjoy Yes. Getting uh, getting stuff done with very very limited resources, sort of enjoy constraining them them themselves, uh, and and the reason for that, you know, psychologically speaking, might might be very different. Maybe they had uh, an abundance of of of, of resources, but um, they they considered that to be sort of noise, and they they close themselves in, if you wish, sometimes into a world of of, of their own. Working on their uh, uh, working on their computer to get 
mm. magical, great stuff done with with not so many resources. So what I'm trying to say, I took the example of scrappiness. The same value can come in different flavors. People might have gotten there, might have started to believe that in in yeah. different experiences. Uh, but that's what value that's what value fit is 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 it, is about. Now, how exactly. do you spot it? To your yeah. question, yeah. So you spend time with people and you learn how they became who they became, right? And and we're social social animals, obviously. These past couple of years, with all the Zoom interviews going on and and people being hired remotely without ever meeting in person, there's 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 a downside. There's been a downside, and there's been some some noise in the process of of, of hiring for for value fit, if you wish. But now we're beyond that. I encourage founders to to go out and spend time and meet the people that that they'd like to hire face to face spend time with them expose them to other people in the organization you know schedule a few meetings before you make that decision uh, schedule a dinner um schedule a lunch whatever works really get to meet the person this will make their integration uh into into the business also a lot a lot easier right oh yeah if they, oh yeah if they don't see this as a recruitment process but rather as an opportunity to know as much as possible about the organization and the people already working in it before you make the decision to jump on board, right? I mean, this is so rich. It's like yeah. onboarding before you even joined. Yeah, pre-onboarding, I think. <laughs> I think we've got a new product yeah. here. Well done, Marius. No, I, I love this. I think the takeaway here is if we want to find that value fit, if we want to spot it, it's a bit really about what you said, high exposure, get, take the time to understand the beliefs, get a bunch of people to talk, work, collaborate, just get to mm-hmm. understand them and you'll be able to spot it. Let's shift for a moment now to assuming that we've got great talent coming or already on board mm-hmm. in a, an environment with a lot of complexity and technology and an early stage company. How might we stimulate that value and culture fit, how might we stimulate the kind of the right mindset and attitudes in the organization? Once we've got people in the team, how do we sustain and nurture it, Marius? It's a tough question because of uh, what we, it's, it's, it's a tough one because of what we just said earlier, people don't embrace uncertainty by, by default. Um, mm. Yet somehow as a leader, you have to help people exercise the muscle. I love to think about it this way, Mike. It's like going to the gym, but for your brain. So exercising your ability to deal with um, uncertainty, your ability to deal with diverse uh, ways of thinking, with diverse ways of thinking with, um, with people with different backgrounds who are now coming in and contributing to, um, to what the team is doing and to what the company is doing. Uh, the, a great framework to think about this is, I'm coming back again, we're building a great business here, we're, we're building um, uh, a product that customers love, and uh, let's build a generational company. Now, now it, as a founder, you're going to have to ask yourself, in my context, in what I'm doing, what does a generational company uh, look like? What is there, you know, what, what, what's out there in the world and what do I want to do? uh to to improve on that to change that to to build a better organization to build a better company and uh if you think about it this way if if this is your framework of building things then some stuff will start falling into uh into place and it's up to you as a leader it's up to you as a a founder to over communicate on on these things i find that a great way to exercise these mental or brain Mm -hmm. muscles if you wish is for the leader to to over communicate on the topics of interest especially around you know culture values and how these are going to help us achieve what we need to achieve um remember you're in a fast uh, presumably in a fast growing company in a fast growth environment highly volatile um there are new people probably coming in every few weeks or so uh so if you repeat your key messages in every all hands for example uh there's always going to be one person or a handful of people you know getting it really for the first time in that right. hand. so it makes sense to repeat it, right that's that's a simple example talk about the values 
that 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 you want to see throughout the organ, organization. Give examples of how you want those values reflected in people's work with customers and with each other. And then, if you do that consistently, if you drive with that, right, there, that's you have got the best chance of um, of getting the the the, the right output uh, from 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 the team of people getting it of people understanding it and of people dealing with change more more easily if they understand the north star of the company if they understand what you're driving towards then they're going to deal with that uncertainty a little bit better or at least they're going to be capable of living it aside for for a while it's mm. not easy though you know the occasional mm. sparks and fires are going to erupt there are important cultural differences when you're building a, a global organization because it's one thing doing it locally in one country or in just a handful of countries in a region uh, or just between Anglo-Saxons, let's say. Right. Uh, mm. And it's another thing really building it, really building a global organization. Uh, and uh, and, and Marius, cultures. Marius I, w- I would imagine that over the, the lifetime of a company, different values are more relevant or prioritized over others. So, you know, you might be talking about one value a lot in the first year, but maybe in the second and third year, it's sort of a shift and a, and a focus on some of the other values. So I think that awareness really matters as well, doesn't it? I, I would say there's one, there's, there needs to be one North star in terms, uh, in, in terms of values, right? Something that's truly overarching. Um, and then as you say, of course, the company, uh, the company needs, uh, the company needs uh, maybe different tools and and instruments to help it um, to help it evolve at at each stage. And sometimes you, you need to double down on one of the values to mm. yeah to make a point or to help drive through a, a particular uh, set of circumstances. Uh, absolutely, absolutely agreed. But as a leader, I'm coming back to the leader's responsibility here. Uh, as the leader, you need to communicate about that. You can't just expect right. people to get it. I think a lot of founders expect people to to get it, right? I mean, uh, and I hear them like, I hired super smart people, you know, I did all the right things. Uh, if, if, uh, if, if, you know, the best two drivers for performance, Mike, in any organization, for an individual within any organization, are IQ and uh, level of uh, um, uh, how conscientious they are. Conscientiousness, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so these, by, by the way, this, these are not my findings. This is organizational psychology research. Uh, it's, it's, you know, peer-reviewed and verified over tens of years. These are the two best predictors for the performance of an individual uh within an organization so i see founders who know this and who've done this and who say you know i hire great people they're 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 working hard they're doing um they're doing amazing work but you know they don't welcome change they don't embrace change they don't Mm. i feel like they don't understand why you know we've uh grown into that country and hired those people to help get us to the next level and my first question is always do you talk about this do you as a leader talk about this? You can't just expect people to, the, to get it. This is not a realistic uh, expectation. If they in, are indeed working hard for, for your organization, if they're you know, focusing and, and delivering a lot of work and, and probably a lot of high quality work, they don't have a lot of time to think about your strategic direction. They expect mm. that to come from you as a leader and they expect you to communicate about the strategic direction of of of, uh, of the company. Uh, also, the journey is not the same. You know, a founder within a fast-growing startup has a different path and a different journey when you compare that founder to, let's say, a seasoned operator that they bring in or a valuable individual contributor that they bring in. It's not the exact same journey. Mm. But part of your journey is as a founder is becoming a great communicator. There is no way around this. You know, founders who do not become great communicators um, and who do not uh, assume that responsibility have uh, fewer chances of succeeding, in my, in my opinion and in my experience. Well, Marius, I feel like you gave us a lot of homework there for all of our listeners that are 
involved in fast growing scaling companies or very early stage companies, I think the spotting of the value fit, the stimulating the value threat fit, I think the emphasis there being on over communication, build that generational company. This is big stuff. And what's really exciting, everyone, is we got plenty more to cover with Marius. And just a reminder that Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. We've talked a lot about um, growth. We've talked a lot about balancing different priorities over communicating, Marius. This brings me to um, what you observed being part of an iconic fast-growing company that's achieved the greatest of heights, listed on the stock market, um, started with a few founders and literally in a decade has done some amazing things in the automation space. I would, I would love to know in particular when you were there, it was just into 100 or so people and scaled up to 3,000 and a big part of that was scaling across countries, scaling across borders, across continents. And I would really love to know what you learned from that dramatic global expansion that you saw at UiPath. Well, before I tell you what I'd learned, I'd like to tell you that I had always, always uh, have wanted, expected for something like that to, 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 to happen out of, out of Romania, Mike. Um, you know, Prior to UiPath with Skill Value, I had met probably around somewhere between 200 and 250 startups across Europe. Uh, some of them Romanian, some of them French, some of them British, uh, some of them Dutch and German, um, really all, all across Europe. Uh, and, and UiPath immediately caught my eye, and especially the founding team at, at UiPath caught my eye when I met them. Um, because in my view, they had understood something super, super important, which is if you're building out of an emerging, kind of emerging small economy like, like Romania is, you're forced to, to glo- go global from day one. But if you do that, don't necessarily walk into the footsteps of, of everyone else who has attempted that and failed up to that point, by the way. <laughs> there weren't a lot of success stories uh, uh, up until UiPath or let's say more limited success stories up until UiPath. So one great thing that UiPath did, and this was prior to me, to me joining, it's just something that impressed me and, and, and um, made me decide to join, was that the initial expansion was in Asia. More specifically, it was in India. Uh, now that may that might seem counterintuitive, right? But for mm. the type of business that UiPath was building, it made sense to first go uh, into India, where a lot of you know business process outsourcing is happening, where a lot of companies uh, have have hired people to handle those business processes, and and uh, it's it made sense to go there and to talk about automation and and uh, the, the possibility to get more work done via the UiPath, you know, by by means of the UiPath platform in the place where that work was actually happening. So as a first step, it, it made a lot of sense. Mm. And actually, UiPath's first customer was signed in in in, in India. Um, so I, you know, that made me raise raise an eyebrow. Like, hmm, interesting. Somebody got this right. Somebody <laughs> figured this out. It's not about you know hiring a salesperson. It's not only about just hiring a salesperson in in the United States and expecting them to to bring tremendous amounts of revenue for uh, for your business but rather really asking the question, where are my users? Where, where can I get that love from, from my user persona, right? Um, where do I get those users that love my product? Because if mm-hmm. I have users that love my product, then the strategic conversation with a C-level executive is going to be a lot easier. And I think that's something that, that UiPath did right. Uh, it built bottom up and top down at the same time. So there was a free community edition and a community forum where people would talk about um, uh, about the automations they were doing, about the challenges they were facing. About um, so you know, by the time you got to speak to an executive, there were there was a high probability of having tens, if not hundreds, of people within your organization already familiar with with the UiPath, uh, which was Marius, which was amazing. 
Do you think there's a parallel with companies that have huge focus on customer and community? Do you see that often overlaps with a focus on some of the internal dynamics with employees? It does. I mean, the, the, the short answer, Mike, would be that you know, PLG product-led growth um, will drive a certain set of behaviors within mm. within the company and a certain type of uh, focus whereas you know top down enterprise sales will will drive a, a a different a different kind of focus what i was what i'm trying to say is, is you know it matters if it's adapted if mm. that focus that you have whether it's a community and product led focus or an enterprise focus if that's adapted to what your business can and should actually deliver I think this is the the magical sort of sweet spot. You know, don't do product-led growth because you've read that it's nice to have, right? Or that uh, it's it's the way it's the way companies do it these days. I mean, don't do product-led growth because of that. Do product-led growth if it matters. And don't do, you know, uh, the, the classic enterprise sales motion because you've read the contract values are larger and you're going to get to a certain revenue faster i mean with enterprise sales you're going to find out that the sales cycles are a lot longer you might use up all your resources before you make the first significant sale so don't make those decisions as a founder don't make those decisions and don't make decisions about expansion right about where to go globally based on what you've read or based on the fact that you impacted it that way or uh, you know, some other fast-growing company. By the way, there are there are a dozen of them right now who've grown uh, faster than UiPath since since then. Um, just because they've done it that way uh, mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't mean it's it's correct. The magic in what UiPath did was that I I felt we did it in a way that was convergent, that was compatible with what the business needed. Uh, and uh, what it needed to get to, to to the next stages, and what the customers needed uh, in, from from us. So, I think there is a very very powerful rule that you're reminding us of, which is very easy to lose track of, and that is to stay incredibly close to your customers and make sure you're building a product that's worth building. Make sure you're solving the problem of the customer. Now, while that might feel incredibly simplistic, I think it's incredibly important to really lay out this fundamental idea because so often you see products mimicking each other. Sort of they're more interested in their competitors than their end users. And I think you're bringing us back to focus on the end user. And it was through that that UiPath had this huge insight to go to Asia first. It may have seemed a little bit... Yeah, and it may have been even a bit counterintuitive, but they had the confidence to make that kind of move, maybe even a game-changing move, we might say, because they and, were close. And then, imagine, and then imagine, Mike, what this does. I'm coming back to the team and the mm. morale of the team. Imagine sure. what this does for your team. You know, these are the early stage people, the first, I don't know, tens, maybe 100 people that you've hired who are working super hard on, a, on, on this product that's still in the sort of early stages, right? And you get the love from customers or from users. Mm. Imagine how that feeds the morale of the team. Oh, it's and like fuel, isn't it? That, it's, it's it's like, like a turbo. This is amazing. <laughs> and then imagine the opposite. A good way to think about this is to imagine the opposite. Imagine what happens when when you're not building a product that users mm. love, right? When you're not focused on that, frustration settles in. Uh, you know, people are upset. They don't know why things are not working. They're they're fiddling in the dark um, because they're not asking the right question. And then, you know, in, in, at that point, really, Mike, you can talk about value fit and culture fit all all, all you want. It's not gonna uh, it's it's not gonna make a, a difference. It's it's the reverse, right? Mm. It's um, it it fuels discontent. It fuels disengagement. Um, and if you, if you don't step in to fix it and, and recalibrate yourself to build a great business and a great product that customers will love, uh, you're, you're going to lose the, you're going to lose the battle and you're going to lose the game. Well, I think just to call out some of the, the learnings that I'm having with you right now, Marius is staying close to the customer, 
really go on the hunt for the value fit when you're looking at talent, both spotting it and stimulating it. And never forget the rule that business is uh, (laughs) built upon the idea of expect the unexpected. Um, I feel like I'm getting a masterclass here, Marius, and we're not done yet. I I really want to uh, bring you to uh, another topic. And it seems like some of the big themes that you're saying that you've seen work really well and that you encourage founders to embrace is the agility and the, uh, the capacity to adapt the, Mm -hmm. um, the looking for values, the empathy for your customer. Are there any other mindsets that you have seen that seem to come up a lot in successful founders? Are there any things that you see that you're like, yep, that's a winning mindset. I've seen that before. I know that works. Is there anything else in the sort of toolkit that founders need to build? It's, I mean, uh, you've you've summarized, you know, the idea of growth mindset pretty well just now, Mike. So it's mm-hmm. obviously something I look for in a founder before I decide to work with them or before I decide to invest in them. One thing that I I, I like, but I don't know how, how to articulate this in the punchline, is is I. I love founders that talk passionately uh, about the kind of company they're trying to build. And let me peel that uh, just one more layer. When you're talking about technical founders, the majority, uh, the, the more, most of the times, they're going to be super excited about the kind of product they're building or the kind of problem they're solving. And I'm not saying that's not important, right? That's super important to talk about that. Uh, because ultimately you do have to solve a real problem for customers to to get their appreciation and, and their love and to have some traction. But imagine a founder who does this well, and in addition to that, you know, spends the other half of his time talking about the kind of company they're trying to build, kind of talking about the kind of people they want to bring together to solve that problem. Now, for me, that founder has much higher chance of succeeding because not only are they technically bright or bright from a product standpoint, if you wish, but they also know how to build a team. And if they know how to build a team, they have a higher chance of success when it comes to delivering the solution to to their customers. So Mm. I, I get really excited when I meet founders that are already thinking about what kind of people they should have in their team to solve that problem and that are always recruiting. You know, I think there's, there's like the saying in English that says, you know, always be selling, Mm. always be recruiting is, is, is the equivalent of that. And, 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 you know, sometimes a conversation can have both, uh, can have, um, can, can flip to both sides. It can be a, a sales conversation or it can be a recruitment conversation. A customer that absolutely loves, I'm talking about an, a user or maybe a decision maker from your cust- from the customer side who absolutely loves your product or your business might one day decide to join your business because they love exactly. it so much. Right. Exactly. And they might help you build for the next stage. So you're always, you're not, and you're not just selling the product. You're always selling the vision also for the kind of company that you're trying to build and founders that do that, their, their, uh, their chance of success increases exponentially because it means they understand employer brand. They understand value fit. Maybe they can't articulate it as clearly as, as we have in, in this conversation, Mike, but intrinsically they, they get it. They know that they have to mm. build towards that. Well, you know, we, we see, you know, the, the work of Simon Sinek, Start With Why, really kind of catapulted the idea of having vision first. People don't buy what you're doing, they're buying why you're doing it, right? And if you if you really have a, cl- a sense of clarity about that, it doesn't matter what kind of meeting you're in. Like you said, is it sales or is it recruitment? Both of those stakeholders are equally drawn in by the idea of your purpose the future state of the world that you're trying to create, the vision that you have. And I think that the beauty here is you don't have to worry in the end, is it a recruitment meeting or a sales meeting? Everyone will be compelled by that same vision, won't they? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, spot on. 
So it's it's not about what am I trying to sell today, but rather, you know, is this conversation um, about the meaningful subjects with mm. regards to my business? So great founders uh, know how to know how to do that, uh, Mike. And it's not studied. It's not like they went to, you know, a master class or a workshop or an MBA for that. Um, I mean, some of them obviously are very polished and yeah. and and they know some of this uh, stuff, but some of, some of the founders know this again, intrinsically. And, and uh, I love working with those, right. They've got great instincts with, with regards to this. Well, perhaps Marius, it comes from really caring about your customer and seeing the scale of the problem your customers face and being energized to go out and solve them. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know if this is the right way of saying it's like it's you're more you're, than that, Mike. You, you really tell me is it, it's more like it's like a worthy cause, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's more than that. I I I learned this from a very seasoned executive in one of the world's leading uh, technology companies that I had the privilege to to discuss with a few times, and he had such an amazing track record in 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 his career. I remember, and I asked them, you know, why haven't you started your own company yet? Like with everything that you've done, everything you've contributed to, you know, uh, this business in particular, but then the others before you, you could have such a great journey. And he told me, I think I would not be a successful founder. And I asked him why. And he told me, because I believe successful founders are those people who believe that the world should not continue to exist without their idea implemented and in the hand of hands of customers. And that was a very powerful message uh, uh, for me. I, I, I realized that I wouldn't be um, a great founder either. I don't have, I, I just don't have that muscle, right? In me, there's nothing yet that I've identified that I believe the world should not continue to exist without. I think that's the power of it, uh, Mike. These, these founders, not only do they want to build a great company, but they believe that without their company and without their solution, this world makes no sense. It's illogical. Mm. Build something the world desperately needs. Build something that makes this world make more sense, positive vibrations, heading in the right direction. It, mm -hmm. The thought that it doesn't exist would be criminal, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like this keeps you awake at night. This mm. is what keeps them awake at night. You know, the fact that, oh my God, this world still exists without this solution. And it's, yes. it's, it's still not working right the, the, the right way. I, I find that super fascinating. It's a very powerful construct um, because then there's a sense of, well, it must be built. It has to be built. Be there's built. no maybes about this. It must be built, which is a very... Exactly. Very compelling idea. Something else that must be built is obviously FlowX. And mm. you've been working with the leadership team of FlowX for, for some time now. And I'm really interested to know what has attracted you to this. We, we've just been talking about vision and mission. Um, and I'm dying to know what, what kind of connected you to this world. What drew you into the world of FlowX? Well, a, a number of things. First of all, I have known the, um, one of the founders of so the CEO of Loex Yuan for a number of years now. We first met, I think, circa 2013. Uh, and, you know, he's one of those um, individuals who gets it, as I said before in our conversation, Mike, meaning that he knows how to talk about mm -hmm. uh, a great business as well as, as, as a great product. And his track record, track record indicates that the, the previous company he has led had a very polished um, and, and authentic employer brand. Uh, and you know, I, we, I see him doing the same thing with, 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 with FlowX right now because he, Yuan and also his co-founder, Sherban, both of them, they just get it. They know that in order, order to, to, to build the right kind of company and deliver value to their customers, they need that value fit. They need... Uh, they need certain types of individuals in their, in, in their business. Uh, plus, I've seen this idea evolve. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I was priv privileged enough to have conversations with Yuan about, about this, uh, you know, several years before FlowX came to life, several months before FlowX came to life. And I 
I saw the inception of this, if if like if I can call it that. And um, mm. uh, I I think I believe both him and 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 Shaban, uh, his his co-founder, were thinking about this in a in a in a healthy way. They you know they allowed it. They allowed this slow hunch to work in their favor. It was a slow hunch for them that hmm, a lot of time is being wasted in large corporations with with these digital transformation pro- projects and it's not done in the right way. And, uh, you know, we have, we have some ideas about how to do it, but they've, they've let that slow hunch function for them. And it ultimately became FlowX. And I was happy to, to jump on board once I understood the, the shape that it was going to, to take as a product and, um, and as a company, it's a relationship built over time. It wasn't one single aha moment. I'm afraid for our listeners. I can't tell you I have that great story where, uh, you know, I met with you on one evening and I drew out my checkbook and and <laughs> it was the oh, first no, checkbook. He, he, he drew on the back of a napkin, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it's meant to go? Uh, well, it's... I was among the first people to tell him, you know, now that, now that you've gotten this to this, at this stage, I'd like to invest, right? Um, but, uh, it wasn't that, that, that classic sort of Silicon Valley conversation, if, if you wish, because again, we've known each other for years, we've met over the years, we've had conversations and, uh, it was great. Just, it was just simply amazing to see a wonderful gr- group of, group of people. So the three of them, you know, Yuan, Shaban, Radu, and, and then of course yourself, uh, Mike and others uh articulating this more clearly and and starting to to work in the in the right in the right direction but this was cultivated over over time it wasn't just one serendipitous encounter uh it that, sa- that it, marius it sounds like you did your high exposure to spot the value fit so i think you're drinking your own kool-aid no, here and I, am. I think I you're am. doing your own your own work so i love this um <laughs> listen marius it has been Wonderful to have you here on Unbounded. Before we let you go, uh, if people want to reach out to you, get in touch with you, how do they find you on the internet? How can they track you down? Well, it's pretty simple. I'm 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 very active on on LinkedIn, so this is where I spend the majority of of, of, of my time. Um, you know, feel free to fo- follow me. I'm also publishing some material there every now and and then. Um, and if not, on Twitter, Marius Estrata X is my my handle on twitter you you can find me there uh let's let's start the conversation that sounds fantastic and i have certainly enjoyed this conversation maris i want to thank you so much for coming on to unbounded talks i want to thank you for all the lessons that you shared about the number one rule expect the unexpected looking for the value fit whether you're spotting it or stimulate it staying close to the customer always be recruiting and build something that world must have. These are great lessons, Maris. Thank you so much. Did you enjoy having a chat and kind of giving us a bit of a masterclass in early stage companies? Absolutely. Absolutely enjoyed every second of this. And uh, I sincerely hope people who listen to this find this useful. And um, uh, who knows, maybe a couple of years from now, we can have, we can have another iteration of this, Mike. And oh, add yeah. to what, I think, what else we've learned in the meantime. I think we might have you back quicker than that. So a huge thank you to you, Marius Estrata, here on Unbounded Talks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap.